Hello, everyone. This is uh, Richard C. Wilson at the Family Office Club, and today we're doing a member spotlight interview with uh, Steve Luongo from Air Asset Management, which is a life settlement focused investment fund. We've had seven or eight of our investors go into life settlements through COVID. This is an area where every time I bring it up, somebody says, oh, I've never heard of life settlements before. How does that work? Um, so that's the point of this video to help share how it works. And thank you, Steve, for being here with me today. Thank you, Richard, and good morning. Morning. So uh, what is a life settlement to begin with? So a, a life settlement, uh, which is really a, a life insurance policy sale, is uh, a transfer uh, of risk between an insured and a buyer. So in other words, uh, people who uh, own uh, life insurance policies, many of them may, be, uh, may own uh, uh, more than one life insurance policy, many wealthy people own a number of life insurance policies. Um, and there are also people who um, need to sell their life insurance policies for economic reasons and so on. So what happens essentially in, in, a, in a life settlement is the person who is the insured who pays premiums over time for a universal um, life policy um, decides at some point to sell it. And what happens is, is the buyer will pay that insured an amount that is greater than whatever cash surrender value may be in the policy, but significantly less than the death benefit of the policy. So if you were to have a life insurance policy that you wanted to sell to me, I would buy it from you for a cash transaction, and then I would continue to pay premiums for as long as you were alive to keep the policy in force, and, uh, and upon your death, um, I would receive uh, the death benefit. That's okay. essentially it. So if somebody had a policy that had a, um, a benefit of $1 million when they, when they pass away and they've been paying into it for so many years and they're only being offered a $200,000 cash value from their insurance company, they might think that's the only option. But if they knew that a life settlement broker existed, which a small number of people know, right. uh, then maybe instead of 200,000, they could get 300,000, 400,000, and then you would keep on making those payments on their behalf. And when they did finally pass away, you'd be able to collect that million and you arbitrage their need for liquidity and give them a much better right. deal than life insurance companies. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, life and life settlements are actually considered, considered a socially responsible investment uh, to the extent that we help people monetize an asset that they really never knew existed. Um, and it's, it's a, uh, it's something that can really benefit people. I give you a couple of examples. You know, for instance, um, we can give you the wealthy sort of well-to-do example where you know there may be a number of policies uh, that somebody owns, and as they get older under a universal policy, they may experience increases in premiums, and they say to themselves at some point, well, "Why am I paying such high premiums for a policy I I don't really need?" I mean, I'm well-to-do, my kids are fine, and so on. So they'll go out and they'll, they'll look to sell that policy, okay? Um, there are other examples where, uh, and we call these smaller face policies, they tend to be policies that have a smaller death benefit tied to it, where, um, you know, somebody, you know, may need to go into a nursing home. And in order to finance the very high cost of a nursing home, um, they would sell their insurance policy. And in doing so, would be able to use those proceeds 
uh, to pay for you know assisted living and and uh, and uh, health healthcare and so on. So there's a you know it's it's really a way in which you, you can help people monetize their assets, and a lot of people don't know about it. Right, right, yeah. I, I know that in some states, the insurance companies are required to disclose probably in 80 pages of fine print that life yeah. settlement exists as an option because the states know that otherwise people have no idea that that's available and the insurance companies can pretty much pay out whatever they want, so whatever small amount because of this lack of knowledge and it's just not an efficient marketplace, right? Right, well, it's becoming more and more efficient. And I, you know, I think there, there's, um, you now see on TV ads, uh, especially by, by a company called Coventry Direct, uh, and Coventry is, is really probably the largest life settlement provider in the industry. And okay. a provider is really an intermediary. It, 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 it is the entity that can close a transaction that has to be licensed in every state um, that it does business in. And it acts as an intermediary between the seller of a life insurance policy um, and the buyer. For instance, in our case, we, uh, we have funds that buy uh, portfolios of life insurance policies. So um, with you know, those advertisements coming on TV and so on, there's been increased knowledge uh, and more and more consumers are looking to sell their policies. So we, you know, as a general statement, we've been seeing an increase in supply into what we call the secondary market for life settlements, which is, um, or for life insurance, which is the primary market for settlements um, over the last decade or so, you know, for sure. And we think it's gonna continue to grow. Yeah, great. Um, and so in terms of diversification within a portfolio, can you talk just to a little bit on that? Because on the, the one hand, life settlements can add diversification to a portfolio because I know liquidity within a fund can compress returns a little bit, have cash on hand for any redemption requests that would come in. But otherwise, one of the benefits that my investors have seen is that this is not directly closely correlated with huge volatility up and down related to us versus China or Trump versus Biden or interest rates or real estate or, and people just like that peace of mind with such a crazy world we live in these days. Right. Definitely. Definitely. It's such an interesting asset class. I mean, I came into it from, you know, a lot of, you know, I had diverse background in banking and, and also treasury markets and, and, you know, foreign exchange and fixed income and so on as a portfolio manager. Um, and I just find, I find the market, incredibly interesting and one of the one of the biggest reasons is because of its really really truly non-correlated feature um it, it's it's really quite quite remarkable um and it enhances diversification to other portfolios and the question is is why is it why is it truly non-correlated um and and i the answer is very simple mortality and life expectancy is not correlated to the returns that are generated by traditional markets. Right. So to that extent, um, it's one of the few asset classes that can offer a true non-correlation and then as a function, uh, eventually diversification to a larger portfolio. Right, right. And uh, sometimes people say to me, oh, well, what if they come up with a cure to cancer as if there's one type of cancer? Right. And I say, well, let's just say they did. Let's say they came up with 10 cures to 10 different cancers. First, once they announce that, they'll have to go through all these trials like we're seeing with the vaccine. Second, let's say we missed the notices on those trials and they're all coming out to the public right now. 
Well, then out of the 300 people that you have in a portfolio, you'd have to have those people have the exact type of cancer that's been cured and have early access to it and have that treatment and have the treatment work. You know, we're talking about a very small difference in returns when you're buying these off of people who are an average 84 years old. Um, you know, even a cure to cancer would not drastically change short term, you know, what I would see on the return profile on this, right? Yeah, you know, you're absolutely correct. And, you know, if you're building a portfolio of 100, 200, 300 policies that are all tied to uh, multiple myeloma, you run a concentration risk with uh, improvements in the treatment for multiple myeloma, for sure. Right. But nobody does that, you know, so the portfolio, for instance, I'll give you an example in our, in our proprietary portfolio, Air US Life Fund 2, um, we, we have exposure in, in, in our life settlement part of that portfolio to over 100 policies. And as you start to get past maybe 50 to 70 policies, you start achieving diversification. And the diversification can be across several different factors. It could be over, you know, what we call mean life expectancy, average life expectancy of each person. But it could also be, uh, you also become diversified in terms of impairments. So for instance, in that portfolio, you know, if, if we were to stop it today and let it run off, um, the, the, the death rate in that portfolio, and I'm, this is, you know, sort of an editorial because I haven't done the numbers on it, but I'm speaking generally, the death rate tied to cancer may be a very small percentage. So if you, if you, if what you would need to sort of uh, counteract the diversification of the portfolio is cures for all kinds of cancers, cures for diabetes, cures for coronary artery disease, and all that happening at the same time. So, you know, it's a, it's really, you know, sort of, it's intuitive to people to say, well, if they have a cure for cancer, you can have exposure in your portfolio, but generally the exposure is probably very minimal and limited. Sure. Sure. And um, my last question here, and then I'll give you a chance to add anything else you wanted to add to the conversation was just about uh, due diligence for somebody who's not an expert on this. I've never heard about it before. And then they're trying to decide whether to invest or not over a matter of weeks or a month or two. Uh, what would be the, the smartest due diligence question for them to ask whether or not they're ever asking that of you guys? Yeah, I, you know, I put myself into the, the, the shoes of an investor from that point of view. And I, I would say the most, uh, the most important question, you know, maybe there's two most important questions. Uh, the first one would be, please identify for me the primary risks uh, for investing into, you know, a life settlement portfolio. That, that is incredibly important more than telling me how you're going to generate great returns. What are, what are the risks inherent to that portfolio? And I want to understand those risks uh, very, very clearly. Um, the, uh, the second question that I would ask would be, um, please help me to understand the valuation of the assets uh, in the portfolio so I can uh, connect an understanding of how those assets are valued to the risk that you're describing to me. Great. Great. Yeah. yeah, no, I haven't had anyone ask me about that. <laughs> and I've had a hundred conversations about life settlements with investors. You so. want to know about returns. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I hope to uh, use this video to, to show them, you know, some sure. ideas on what they should be thinking about. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Any other uh, final insights before we sign off for today? No, I, I you know, I think, um, I think, you know, 
some of the major tenets or major points that you know really to cover is that it's a it's a really interesting asset class. It's a it's a diversification. In, uh, it's an it's an it's an investment that diversifies other portfolios. Um, the there is potential. Uh, there is potential for um, uh, strong non-correlation, so to speak. Um, I mean, generally, we do view this asset class as being non-correlated. Uh, and the way in which the assets generally perform um, is, is, uh, leads to um, rather low volatility. So what you are doing by investing into life settlements is really combining um, these you know, elements of diversification, uh, non-correlation, and low volatility to, a, to an overall portfolio. So it's a it's a wonderful uh, additive uh, to to a to a broader portfolio. Great, great, yeah. No, I appreciate you uh, explaining that. And for whatever reason, a lot of wealth management firms and multifamily offices never bring this up with clients. Never allocate clients into it. Perhaps because the wealth manager themselves is just not super familiar or comfortable with what a life settlement is. But also, ninety five percent of the time, when I hear of some other life settlement firm. I open up their materials and they are getting people exposure to just four policies, 12 policies at a time. Right. And they're doing these little groupings of policies. So you could get great returns uh, or not so great returns because that, that big concentration. So um, that's something I've just been seeing over and over again is one of the reasons why I would see investors maybe scared away just because it, it would create volatility in the results when you do that. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, you know, especially when funds are small and they start out, um, you know, you know, they'll start out maybe with five, 10, 15 policies, and then they may get a, a death. And you'll see, you know, a return spike, <laughs> 15, right. 20%, you know, and, and really, when you see that, you have to discount that you, you have right. to basically say, okay, at what level do we start seeing sort of a smoothing of returns and so on? Um, and you know, it's probably that people have different ideas. You know, if you talk to some of the huge funds that are, that are in life settlements, they'll tell you, well, diversification occurs at 250 policies or 400 policies, you know, right. but I think generally as a general rule, you can really start getting diversification at around 75, 75. Right. Yeah. Right. And I know that, um, at Harvard, the only class I failed was statistics but it's because they counted a B minus as a failing grade. And that blew my mind, but I had to take statistics twice and I'd already taken it during my MBA. I already taken my undergrad. So I've taken statistics four times. Right. I know it's a very base premise. Once you get to 30 of a sample, it starts to look like a bell curve. Right. And um, you know, I, there's all different levels of, you know, how sure you can be, but, right. but anyways, yeah, that, that, that all makes sense and lines up with my, my, lack of expertise there. So I appreciate this interview here today. Sure. And somebody you. wants to reach out, Steve, and, you know, pick your brain on this topic. And maybe they're a wealth advisor and they just want to be sharper for their clients. Um, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Oh, uh, people can uh, email me. Um, and I'll give you that email. Uh, S, S as in Steve, Luongo, L-U-O-N as in Nancy, G-O, at airassetmanagement.com. Um, People can also reach out uh, through phone if they want, uh, sure. and they can, I can be reached at 917-859-8540. Okay, great. Yeah, and if anyone has trouble getting hold of Steve for any reason, 
uh, let us know. We'll get you directly in touch and introduce you over email because we know him and his team very well. And thank you for your time here today, Steve. Oh, thank you, Richard. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. Bye. Take care.